Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. So, as expected, the season's over. Not a lot of news, right? I, I mean, it's that point in the year where free agency didn't start. Teams aren't really looking to re-sign their players yet. That's really the next upcoming week where franchise tags start coming in. And then after that, March 6th is the deadline for franchise tags, by the way. After that, that's when players really start getting their new contracts. But this is the week where everyone all over the league, all the owners, all the coaches, all the players, they're all just sitting around, just taking a break right? Even the GMs. They, it's been a long, hard season, all right? It's been a long, hard season. They're gonna be a little bit tired. Now they're just resting. This is like their one week of the year where they truly do get rest. You know, there's no big drama this week except drama that has existed for a while now. And yeah, it's really just been a very, I don't want to say boring, but a very like relaxed NFL setting this week. So I I am going to talk about, I'm going to start by talking about 10 players that are very likely to get franchise tagged or the 10 most likely players to get franchise tagged and how likely I think it is that they do get franchise tagged. And all 10 of them have been talked about a lot in terms of whether or not they'll get franchise tagged. And then for the second part of this podcast, and it's probably going to be much longer than the first part, I'm going to go over... 10 of the wide receiver prospects that I looked at because, you know, draft season is coming up. It, it, it's a little while away, but it is definitely coming up. And I, I think now would be a good time to start looking at some of the prospects. So I decided to pick 10 of the receivers that are really getting talked about a lot. I looked at their film. I read scouting reports on them, and I'm going to rank the 10 that I looked at. But like I said, I'm going to start by talking about that franchise tag watch. All right. So. I'm going to start by talking about the player that I think is most likely to get franchise tagged, Devontae Adams, right? He had 123 receptions for 1,553 yards and 11 touchdowns last year. Even if Rodgers is gone, right? The Packers don't want to instantly regre- regress from this team that a lot of people are talking about a possible Super Bowl run from them. They don't want to regress from that to maybe missing the playoffs. Even if Rodgers isn't there... Green Bay is still going to want to win, okay? It's in their culture to win, especially under Matt LaFleur. They think Jordan Love can win them games. They drafted him to be able to do that. He's going into his third year. Third-year quarterbacks can win, man. It's possible. It's definitely in the realm of possibility. Now, is it likely? Maybe not. And maybe some people don't even have the Packers winning the division, even with Devontae Adams if Rodgers is gone, right? But I think NFC North is still really weak, right? Vikings aren't anything too threatening, although they have a lot of talent there. I think that's the only, like, legit threat, but they're they're not some team that makes you say, oh, how could the Packers possibly beat them out for the playoffs? And then the other two teams are Detroit and Chicago Bears, I don't think either of those teams are going to make a playoff run. So, NFC North is still super winnable, even if Jordan Love is the one taking snaps. And 
in order for the Packers to have the highest chance to make a playoff run possible, they're going to need Devontae Adams on this team again. They want him back. Does Devontae Adams want to play there? If Rodgers is gone, he probably doesn't. And that's why you're going to have to franchise tag him. The question isn't, are you overpaying him with the franchise tag? This is the best receiver in the NFL. On the Hammer Cooper Cup. So to say that you're overpaying with the franchise tag, that's stupid. And no one's thinking that. No one is thinking that. Because it's, it's frankly just not a debate. Devontae Adams is a stud. He's deserving of that contract. He's deserving of a way higher contract. The reason that he's getting this one is because it's one that he cannot decline. Meanwhile, you offer him a big deal. I don't think Devontae Adams is going to accept it because he wants to play for Derek Carr. He wants to play for Aaron Rodgers. He wants to play for a high-tier quarterback, one of which, you know, Derek Carr, people are mentioning his name a lot because of the chemistry he has. Now, I, I really think, normally it's not as simple as that, but I really think the chemistry that Devontae Adams has with Derek Carr is going to make Devontae Adams want to come to Las Vegas in with the Raiders if he does hit the free agent market. But I really think the Packers are not going to let him walk. And because he can't decline a franchise tag, they're going to tag him. Without a doubt. I, I'm, like, very sure of that. And I think the second most likely franchise tag is Orlando Brown. Listen, the Chiefs gave up a first-round pick to get this guy. Okay? Yeah, it was a late first-round pick. But they didn't trade away that first-round pick just to have him for a year. Because that's all they got out of him so far. One year. They're going to either franchise tag him or give him a huge extension. He's definitely coming back. Okay, definitely. I'm not sure how likely it is that he gets franchise tagged, but I think I think it is more likely that he gets a long-term extension. But at the same time, a, a franchise tag is also very likely, right? Because you look at the Chiefs, if they were to give Orlando Brown a big contract now, gonna be hard to afford that. Gonna be hard to afford that Mahomes deal, right? And now they start paying Mahomes fifty million a year. Now is the time where it really starts to hurt them. So maybe, unless they give him a long term contract and severely backload it, which is very possible, because I think it's obvious the NFL salary cap is going to rise a lot over the next couple of years. So them offering him a contract that's really backloaded, I think that's the most likely possibility. If they're not to do that, I think franchise tag is next up. I do. Because then they can see how their salary cap situation is next year, and then they could give him that big deal. They're going to give him the big deal eventually, right? Because they gave up a first-round pick for him. They're not just going to let the guy walk. That's... Without a doubt, I think there's no way in hell this guy ends up being a free agent. Without a doubt. No way he's a free agent. But the question is, does he get franchise tag? Does he get a long-term extension? That's really the main thing. Number three, Jesse Bates. I also think this is a very likely one. But does Jesse Bates... Do you think he gets a long-term extension too? It's the same type of thing with Orlando Brown. Right, because Devontae Adams, I think it's very obvious it's going to be a franchise tag, right? Because with Devontae Adams, he, I don't think he wants to play there. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I I don't know him. I haven't ever said anything to him. But 
I think it's he's made it very clear. If Rodgers is out of Green Bay, Devontae Adams is out with him, unless he gets franchise tag. But Orlando Brown, I, I mean, he probably wants to stay there, I imagine. And the Chiefs clearly want him, too. And that's the same thing with Jesse Bates. The Bengals definitely still want Bates, and Bates probably wants to be there, too. I mean, he made it to the Super Bowl with him. Bates is one of few big names on a very good defense that doesn't really have many big names. So Cincinnati's going to do everything they can in their power to keep Jesse Bates. I just don't know if that's a long-term contract or a franchise tag. Probably not a franchise tag. I think it will be a long-term contract, but just for the sake of talking about the franchise tag because, you know, that deadline is upcoming, I think I'm going to throw him into the franchise tag discussion. So those are, like, the three, like, super likely guys, right? Those are three players that are definitely sticking with their team, at least. One of which I know for sure is getting a franchise tag. Devontae Adams is getting the tag, no matter what. But then, down a tier, I would say these are, like, the likely guys. Not necessarily super likely, like those three that I just named. But, you know, it, it's still most likely very, I think, like, seven times out of ten. These guys got the tag. So, the first of these names are Carlton Davis, right? People underrate this guy a lot because he was injured last year. But, you look, the big reason that they won that Super Bowl, no one talks about their secondary, right? No one does. Because the big reason that they won, at least on the defensive side of the ball, was their front seven. But, the reason that the front seven was able to do so well was because Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy, Bunton were doing a great job. And Carlton Davis, I'm telling you, the guy's a stud. This year when he was healthy, a lot of 53.7 completion percentage, which is pretty good. And he's a big part of a super underappreciated Buccaneers defense. Or Buccaneers secondary. Listen, this guy's no joke. He's a he's super physical on whoever he's covering. Right? He's a super physical cornerback. And for Todd Bowles's you know, blitz-heavy defense to work, he needs his corners to be able to keep up with the defender. So they need a guy like Carlton Davis. And I don't think that there's anyone they could really replace him with. And why replace him when you have your answer right there, Carlton Davis? Now, again, why do I think franchise tag? Really, these... I, I marked it as franchise tag just because the franchise tag is upcoming. But these are really the guys that I think are most likely to stay with their team, kind of. Or my opinion on the people that... People are talking about all these guys getting franchise tags, right? All 10 of these guys are getting talked about in that discussion a lot. So I'm just chipping in. Even though the reality is, I'm looking at this list, I think maybe five of these guys get a franchise tag. These are just guys I'm talking about them potentially staying with the team. Because, I mean, I'm looking at this. The majority of these guys, I think, stay with their team. It's just not in the franchise tag. It's going to be on a long-term contract. Devontae Adams is going to get a franchise tag. But most of these guys, I think, are long-term contract worthy. And there's not really a reason for them to get the franchise tag instead, you know? But that's hard for us to say, right? 
because we're not the ones talking to the players. I don't have access to that. The organizations that are actually talking to the players would know more about how they should approach it, whether or not they should aim for the franchise tag or whether or not they should give the long-term contract. It all depends on the players' thoughts, right? So number five, Marcus Williams. The guy's definitely staying. I, I don't know why the Saints would let him walk, right? With Dennis Allen being the new head coach, they're definitely going to keep running the same defense, I think. And the defense that Marcus Williams fits best in is the Saints defense. Again, that's the only defense I see him playing, I know. But he is a too-high safety type of player. He He's great for that cover-two-man type defense, and that's the defense Dennis Allen loves to run. Marcus Williams is a young safety, okay? And the the Saints are not in a great spot salary cap-wise, okay? They're in a pretty bad spot. So I don't see it being overly likely that they give him a long-term contract, unless that's a long-term contract that's superbly backloaded. But it seems like the Saints have been doing that so much over the past, like, decade. They've been giving out these contracts that are severely backloaded, and they restructure it and make it backloaded again. And they keep, like, doing these salary cap gymnastics. Mickey Loomis's antics are finally catching up with the Saints, right? And every single year, they're getting in a worse salary cap, salary cap spot. And what makes it worse is that they don't really have the talent for you to say, oh, it's fine that they can't sign free agents. Right? They don't have the talent on that roster anymore. They don't have Drew Brees anymore. Michael Thomas, we don't know if he's the same player anymore. Alvin Kamara, if you ask me, I think he lost a step. They haven't been drafting well enough either. Like, the team is in some deep shit. It really is. It's in a very bad spot right now. And them keeping Marcus Williams... For that to happen, I think it's got to be through the salary cap or through the franchise tag. I really do. I don't see how they'd be able to backload another contract. I don't see how they could afford that. Now, number six, and this is the this is the next. Uh, no, this is the final one in that second tier of you know likely franchise tags or likely re-signing. And this is a guy I think will get the tag. Mike Kosicki, and I'm, I'm very confident that Mike or yeah Mike McDaniel will want the guy back, because you look who was like the big weapon in San Francisco for the past couple of years. You guessed it, George Kittle, the tight end. I don't I don't just think Mike Kosicki's gonna get a franchise tag, or yeah he will this year, but I think he's gonna get a franchise tag and then. Next year, he's going to put up some ridiculous numbers. I do. I think he's going to be the key player on that Dolphins offense. I do. You look at what Mike McDaniel loved to do with Kittle, he's going to do it with Gasicki, and it's going to work damn well because Gasicki is a really talented player. Not quite George Kittle, but he has a lot of talent. And Mike McDaniel is going to do whatever it takes to get the guy back, whether or not that's a long-term contract. Again, we don't know. But... He's definitely staying. I think Mike McDaniel is going to love what he sees in Gasicki. Now, this is when we step down from likely to possibly. And there's two guys in this tier. I think Mike Williams and Dalton Saltz, right? These are two weapons that aren't necessarily needed, right? I mean, Williams is good, and so is Saltz. 
These are two good players that help their team, but I wouldn't say that they're like a requirement. And I would say there's a possibility that these two walk. There's a possibility these two guys leave. And if that happens, I think that they're not some players that can't be replaced. I'm going to get into the draft prospects soon, right? But there's one guy who I'm not going to say yet. But there's one guy that I have falling decently late that I think can play the role that Mike Williams has been playing just as well. Or maybe a little bit worse at first, but eventually he'll play it just as well as Mike Williams. And in terms of Dalton Schultz, listen, I I think Schultz is good. Okay, don't get me wrong. But his role in that offense isn't something that makes you say, oh, only one player can do that. Only Dalton Schultz can do that. It's really just CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper attract most of the defense's attention, and then Dalton Schultz just gets open because he's on, like, one of their worst coverage guys. Schultz is solid. Like, he's a good player, but I'm not going to act like he's some irreplaceable talent. Listen, if they let Schultz walk and then they just re-sign Blake Jarwin on a team-friendly deal, they'll be I think they'll be just as fine. That's not really much of a loss, in my opinion. And now down to the unlikely tier. Harold Landry. Listen, good player. I don't know. It's tough because, you know, with the pre there. He's going to play a role. I think that they could definitely see Dupree being just as good, if not better, as Landry. And I don't know. The Titans just don't strike me as a team that would be willing to overpay Harold Landry. And I think a franchise tag would be an overpayment. I don't think Harold Landry is some player that deserves the high-tier money that one team will give him if he hits the free agent market, okay? Because you look, he he had a big year last year, okay? Undeniably. On the stat sheet, he had a big year. But how much of that was him just being schemed into a very good spot, right? Because you look at how Tennessee's defense works. It's all these crazy stunts that really, really confuse the opposing offensive line. And I think that was a big reason for Harold Landry's production this season. Now, Harold Landry's still a good player, don't get me wrong, but I if he gets paid more than $10 million per year, I, I think that's an overpayment, without a doubt. And I think t- the Titans are aware of this. They're not going to want to give him a franchise tag because that will be an overpayment, especially with Dupree there. I think, like I just said, I think Harold Landry is someone that could be pretty easily replaced. Same thing with Mike Williams and Delton Schultz. And then the other very super unlikely one, and this one I think is a move that the Patriots would regret. J.C. Jackson, yeah, I would franchise tag him. They're not gonna. I'm telling you they're not. Because the Patriots have an amazing ability to somehow get these all-star, pro Bowl caliber defensive backs from, like, the most random, random places. Whether that's a seventh-round pick. Or maybe they traded away a fifth rounder to get some random player. Wasn't good on whatever team he was on in the past, 
was mainly just a bench warmer. Now he's on the Patriots starting, and he's a stud. They have Jonathan Jones behind him, and I think that he could play a role in the defense somewhat in a somewhat good fashion. They brought in Jalen Mills. Maybe he plays in that cornerback role. Maybe they just draft a guy, and he ends up being a stud, even though every other team passed on him. The Patriots are going to somehow find a way to replace J.C. Jackson because they always find a way to replace their premier corners. They've been doing it for decades, and they're going to do it again. That's the magic of Belichick. you you got to love it. J.C. Jackson himself was a replacement. And they got him dirt cheap, and they're going to do it again. They don't need to overpay J.C. Jackson because they can just get a player that's just as good as him with ease because the Patriots always find a way to do that. Anyway, you're listening to the Goal Line Podcast, and when we get back from this break, I'm going to be talking about my wide receiver prospects and the rankings of the 10 that I looked at. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast, and I said in the last part that I'm going to go over my wide receiver rankings out of the 10 that I looked at. I looked up a list of like the top 12 and I picked 10 out of those 12. Of course I included like the big names. So like Jamison Williams, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, those guys are all on it. And then Olave was a guy I was interested in and he was on Ohio state with Garrett Wilson. So I thought that that was very easy for me to be able to watch film of both of them at once. And then if I was doing that with Olave, I should also do it with John Mechie from Alabama. Then I also include Dave Bell from Purdue, Sky Moore from Western Michigan, who is a small school guy, George Pickens because he used to be considered the number one guy and then you know kind of fell apart. I'll get into that later. And then Jahan Dotson and Traylon Burks. Those are the 10 that I'm looking at. And I guess I'll start with number 10, who is Traylon Burks. Earlier, I was talking about a player that could replace Mike Williams if the Chargers were to let him walk. And I think Burks could do it if they needed him to. This is a guy who will probably be available in the mid to late second round. Maybe maybe he falls to the third round. One of these guys will. And I, I think he could very easily play that role. And I think he's nothing more than that, really. And that's what hurts him. He is a 50-50 ball receiver, and I don't think he could be much more than that. And that's fine. That is completely fine because teams need that a lot. I mean, you look at a team like the Chiefs, they'd probably kill for a guy like this. That's why they brought in Josh Gordon. Didn't really work out, but hey, they could take a shot at Burks. That would be a really good fit. He has good size, 6'3", 225 pounds. He has really good hands. He's a versatile player, although I really think he's only going to fit as that outside receiver he was versatile at Arkansas and he played all over the place I don't think he's going to be able to do that much he makes Traylon Burks makes a lot of difficult difficult catches I mean he makes some highlight plays he's hard to tackle in space and he finds soft spots in zones which is very good you know if you need someone to beat a very common defense in cover three he could do that he's able to find the soft spot curl in, make it easier for the quarterback. And when I say difficult to tackle in space, I mean, he's just difficult to tackle overall. He he won't avoid you, but 
if you're trying to wrap your arms around him, he's a tough guy, especially for a receiver. But, I mean, his lack of great speed prevents him from being like a, you know, dominant 100% of the time, throw him the football type of receiver. I don't, I think that this lack of speed is what prevents him from being the type of physical specimen that a DK Metcalf is. And he's not an, a special route runner, which would be fine if he had that great speed to make up for it. But the lack of great speed with the inability to create separation on your routes, you're just not going to be able to separate from the defender. So you're going to be limited to the role of just a 50-50 ball guy. We need to throw the ball up. Fine, we'll give it to you. We're on the five-yard line. We need a touchdown. Fine, then we'll throw you the ball. But we're not really going to be looking your way as the first read on anything other than like a goal line fade. And again, that's fine because he's a role player. Someone has to play that role. But, you know, there's better receivers that can not only do that, but they could also be used for other things. Really, Traylon Burks, he's a guy that, like I said, he's a 50-50 ball receiver. And I guess he could kind of pick apart zone defenses, which can definitely help. But I don't think he could do it consistently enough with his poor route running to be able to be considered like a number one target. I do. So now I'm going to move over to my number 10, John Mechie from Alabama, who is six foot, 195 pounds. He tracks the ball well. He's a great route runner, impressive release, explosive athlete, and very athletic. And he's also just, he's probably the best blocking receiver in the draft class, despite not being too big. Like he, he is good size, not not anything special though. And he's not like six foot four, but I still think he's the best blocking receiver in the draft class, right? This is a guy who can do a little bit of everything, but the problem that you look at on film is he seems really inconsistent in his ability to do all these things, right? So yeah, you know, you have a player that at his best tracks the ball really well, runs great routes, has a very good release off the line of scrimmage, super athletic. And he's a great blocker. But most of the time, you only get like one of these elite traits to show at once. Because one one play, he'll run a super good route. And then the next play, he'll run a very lackluster route. He also has really inconsistent hands, which hurts him a lot. I mean, that's something that gets fixed a lot in the NFL. So I wouldn't say it should, it should hurt his stock too bad. But you look in college. He had some embarrassing drops, right? So I, I just brought up the example. He, he might run a very good route and then drop the ball, which would suck. Then the next play, he'll run a terrible route, but he'll make an amazing catch. And despite running a horrible route and getting no separation, he'll still be able to make the play. Like, that's the thing that you got with John Mechie, and it sucks to have a player like that because you really don't know what role he could play. Because on paper, he should be a really well-rounded receiver that could do everything. But the problem is he doesn't do everything at once. He's not a jack of all trades because he's only doing one thing well at a time. And, you know, it's really weird. You don't see a player this inconsistent. He's one of the most inconsistent receivers I've seen ever. I mean, it's just crazy. Every aspect of his game never, ever remains consistent. He's never able to do everything. He can only do one thing at a time. and I mean, it's fascinating. You never see something like that. It's really, really interesting to watch. But like I said, it's going to hurt his stock a lot because 
no team is going to want a guy who can't have an established role on the defense. I mean, on the offense. No team is going to want that. Number eight, and this is when you really get into the guys that I like a lot. I think these next eight receivers, I don't want to say all of them can be wide receiver one, but all of them have wide receiver one upside. And I think all eight of these guys are at least a wide receiver two on whatever team they go to. I mean, these are eight guys that I think are really well-rounded and can have an excellent role in the NFL. So the first one I want to talk about is David Be- David Bell from Purdue, six foot two and two hundred and five pounds. Listen, this guy, he does everything. Now, you want to talk about like a jack of all trades that can really accomplish every task he can. He doesn't do everything at an elite level, but he can do everything very well. Elite hands, amazing body control, tracks the ball really well, spectacular route runner, superb release off the line of scrimmage. He's very quick and he's super versatile. That's the skill set of like just a solid receiver. Solid. Not anything special, you know, but he could play any role. He has a large enough route tree, and yeah, he could just do everything you need. He's not too fast, and he's nothing special after the catch. And I mean, blocking, he he's that's his biggest weakness, if you ask me. I think he's a horrible blocker. Horrible. But you just want to talk about ability to gain yardage through the air, this is a guy who could do that for you. Now, I'm not sure if he could establish himself as a one, although I think it is possible. But I think it's unlikely because he doesn't really have any elite trait other than his hands, which the crazy thing is receivers are so consistent nowadays catching the ball. When you have elite hands, it doesn't... I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but... I mean, so many receivers just catch everything anyway. Having elite hands doesn't benefit you too much. But listen, he does everything else well. Runs good routes. Good body control. Very good release off the line of scrimmage. He tracks the ball super well. And he's versatile. He does everything. He does everything. That's really all I could say with this guy. And I like him for it. I like that he's able to fill any role. Now, my number seven, Sky Moore from Western Michigan, five foot ten, one hundred ninety-five pounds. Listen, this is this is your John Brown. This is your, you know, Tavon Austin guy. This is your just gadget. Kadarius Tony, gadget guy, who could do it in the slot, speedy, can make plays after the catch. This is your guy. If you're looking for like a Tyreek Hill, and I, I was trying to avoid saying that name at first. I really was because saying Tyreek Hill, like that's a buzzword that really gets people's hopes up. But the reality is there's so many people that have the skill set to be a Tyreek Hill, but they never really are. So I, I think, let's calm down. He can be Tyreek Hill. Like that's a ceiling. His ceiling is Tyreek Hill, but let's say Marquise Brown, right? This is a gadget guy for whatever team he goes to. Top tier speed, great hands, excellent route runner, 
Difficult to tackle in space. He's super elusive. Explosive. Tracks the ball well. But the problem is, undersized. Like it is most of the time with these short, speedy guys. His, his major knock is his short catch radius. His small catch radius. Because of his size. And he's not a very good blocker, but that's to be expected when you're 5'10". But like I said, gadget guy. That's what this. That's what his role will be. He will be the gadget guy. And if he reaches that ceiling of Tyreek Hill, he'll also be a guy who is basically always open because of his amazing speed, blazing speed. Because this guy ha- has speed. He has speed. The question is, can he control it? But when I talk about gadget, I, I mean, not just jet sweeps. This guy will be able to participate in some trick plays where the receiver throws the ball because he used to be a quarterback in high school. A very fast one. And he used to he used to sling the rock. So that tells you, like, if you were to want to do, like, I don't know, like a, a jet sweep pass to the quarterback, he could do it. You got someone that could do that. Very specific play. But, hey, some people want that. Some people look for that. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have someone that could throw the ball at receiver. Number six, this is a guy who I can absolutely see. Like, if he can bounce back from the injury, number two. Number two, without a doubt. But George Pickens, six foot three, two hundred pounds, goes to Georgia. Listen, he has so many elite traits, and he has a lot of the stuff that you want. But the problem is, we don't know how he's going to play after that ACL tear. We don't. He has good size, long arms, large, which both those combine for a very large catch radius. Something that you love to see. Super physical receiver, but he's also elusive, too. He makes catches with a very high degree of difficulty. And, I mean, if you're going to be as physical as he is, of course you're going to be good catching through contact. Very reliable hands, tracks the ball well. Good route runner, large route tree. Like, that's so many pros. But the problem is, I mean, yeah, he has an average release, and his off-field issues hold him back. And that's a concern for a lot of teams. And he's not overly fast, but the major problem that makes all those pros not really mean as much as they would not really result in him being top 10, the major con is that ACL injury. Like, that's always just a big, big, big red flag, no matter what your position is. That's something that just scares teams away from you, and you can't blame them. You cannot blame them, because a lot of the time when you get that injury, you're not going to be able to bounce back. That's just how it is in this league. It sucks. That's just how it is. If he could bounce back from that ACL injury, this guy is going to be an absolute steal because he might fall to the second round. He probably will, actually. And if he gets picked in the second round, oh, man. If he get, No, if he gets picked in the second round and he plays like he was before that ACL injury, steal the draft. Steal the draft. But that's unlikely, and that's why he's going to be falling. Because when you lose time to an ACL injury, you're not expected to be able to bounce back. The combine is going to mean a lot for him. That's really all I could say. The combine is going to determine a lot. It's going to be make or break for him. It's either going to scare a lot of fans away from him or a lot of teams away from him, or it's going to make a lot of teams be like, okay, this guy, he's still the same player he was before the injury. Let's get him onto the team. His, his stock is going to drop or rise dramatically based off of that.
And then number five, another guy who it, it was just ruined by an ACL injury, and it sucks. But this guy's also just a little bit better than Jameson Will. Then, uh, sorry, I almost just said his name. This guy's also just a little bit better than George Pickens, and that is Jameson Williams from Alabama, six foot two, one hundred and eighty nine pounds. Another guy, he could do everything. Tracks the ball well, elusive, great route runner, amazing release, incredibly fast, stretches the defense. The problem is that ACL tear. Yeah, he's also very thin and he can't can't really catch through traffic, but the ACL tear is what's scaring the teams away. And if it weren't for it, and it sucks because it came in the national championship. If he didn't get injured in that game, this guy probably goes like top 10. Like he's that good. He's that good. He was the undisputed number one. Most people were saying before he got injured, but because of that injury, it really derails him. It really hurts him because he's a speedy guy who has great, great body control and can run good routes while going at full speed. That's something that's rare, but when you get someone that can do it, that's an elite receiver. And he showed all those traits they want from an elite receiver. My number four is Jahan Dotson from Penn State. This guy might drop a little bit. And whatever team drafts him, this is another guy. Probably going to be a steal. 5'11", 184 pounds. Yeah, I know. The height and weight, not really anything too fascinating. But he's a masterful route runner. Very reliable hands. Huge route tree. Amazing release. Exceptional speed. Tracks ball well. Versatile. And adjusts the ball well. I mean, yeah, he lacks physicality he's pretty small and he's not overly elusive but still this is a guy who can be so important to your team so important I think that this guy he's supposed to go like mid-second round early second round and I think that that's a steal that is a steal this guy is a beast okay this draft class is really stacked at a lot of positions receiver being one of them and Jahan Dotson he's a big like deaf guy he is if you need like a number two, a number one, even like this guy in a normal draft class, he goes like in the first round, early, early or mid first round. But because this receiver draft class is so good, he's going to be falling a bit. He's going to be falling. And he's not one of the big names either. Going to Penn State, which is a team that didn't really do much this year. It hurt his value a little bit, but I'm telling you, the guy's going to, the guy's going to have a masterful season. Like he's so good. His routes are so good. Like, I cannot address that point enough. And I think that that's the most important thing for a receiver today. It's either you're a great route runner or you mastered every other aspect of the game. That's always how I see it. And if you have a guy that can run routes as well, Jahan Dotson, yeah, you know, not the he doesn't have a very large catch radius, whatever. Still, his ability to get open is unbelievable. Now, we're entering the top three. At three, a guy... Some people have this guy at one, all right? And I, I get it. But I have Drake London at three. This is a guy, you know, he kind of scares me. Because I, I think separation is going to be a huge problem for him. He's not a special route runner, and he lacks outstanding speed. Which I think those two mixed lead to some guy that can't really separate. Yeah, he has excellent size. He tracks the ball super well, and he's a contested catch artist. Strong strong runner after the catch, and 
good body control. And he always has a chance to make the catch. But I mean, this guy, with his limited route tree, and he he seems like kind of a one-trick pony. Like, it's very, very similar. And it's funny, because this is a guy I have at 10. But it's very similar to Traylon Burks. But it's Traylon Burks, but you turn that contested catch ability all the way up to 80 million. That's what you got. If Traylon Burks is Mike Williams, then Drake London is Mike Evans, if that makes sense. But, I mean, again, like, I just don't think he's going to be able to... I, I don't think he's quite wide receiver one material. And by that, I don't mean, oh, he can't be the wide receiver one on your team. That's not what I mean. I mean, I don't think he's the best receiver in the draft class. I think the two I have ahead of him are decently far ahead because Drake London is such a one-trick pony. Although, again, he is so good at that one thing, it doesn't really matter. It's very similar to Mike Evans with contested catches. He's so good at catching the ball contested, that doesn't matter. That That's all he does. At all. Meanwhile, with Traylon Burks, he's a guy that, like, yeah, he could do it, but he's not he's not gonna come down with it more than he more than he won't. Drake London, like he's so good at it, you're pro he's probably gonna catch it like 50% of the time, which is unbelievable. But my number two, these are just guys I, I consider more well rounded. Garrett Wilson's my number two. Great route runner, large route tree. Superb release off the line of scrimmage. Elusive in space. High caliber athlete. Versatile. And he has unbelievable body control. He's six foot, 188 pounds. Listen, those are a lot of the things you look for. For me, I'm a bit I'm a big route running guy. Okay. If you're a good route runner, odds are I'd probably like you. And that's the reason I had the him ahead of Drake London, because I think route running is just a more cherishable, more rare, and more useful strength than 50-50 ball ability, contested catching ability. I do. Yeah, you know, after the catch, he holds the ball a little bit loose, and that could lead to fumbles. And he he doesn't have great speed. And he sometimes runs before catching the ball, which leads to some drops. And, you know, he has a lot of these flaws, right? But I do still think, like, you look at his ability to run routes, like, that's such a big advantage for him. He's such a good route runner. And he's, if you, if he could fix, like, the fumbles, I think he's going to be one of the best after-the-catch receivers. Or one of the better ones. Like he he's damn good at it. And he could run so many different routes again. Listen, this guy's a stud, Garrett Wilson. He's not he can't really make the plays that Drake London can, but I don't think that Drake London can do what Garrett Wilson is doing either. My number one, another Ohio State guy, Chris Olave. This guy's a monster. I mean, he has the most consistent hands in the draft. 
He's very fast. He tracks the ball super well. Spectacular release. release. Very, very good body control. Great route runner. He's super similar to Garrett Wilson. He is very similar. Garrett Wilson's probably a little bit better after the catch. But I think Olave's a better route runner with better hands. And Olave, he can make... Like, if you're throwing a catchable ball, he he catches it. Like, Olave has a little bit more of that, oh, I'm going to make this ridiculous catch than Garrett Wilson does. And, yeah, you know, Olave has his flaws. He lacks physicality. And he could be better after the catch. But this is also kind of a pro for him. Because if you think him being able to be better after the catch, that's something he could work on. And it shows hidden potential that he hasn't tapped in yet. And, yeah, his size isn't great. And we don't even know if he's going to be able to win outside. Like, it, it seems like he might not be able to. But I think he's going... I think he's going to be, if he is lined up in the slot most of the time, I think he's going to be the best slot, pure slot receiver in the NFL. Because he's such a ridiculous route runner with amazing hands. Olave is my one. I think his ability to adapt to the ball while it's in the air after running amazing routes that probably get him separated anyway. He's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. Yeah, Drake London's more of the flashy highlight tape, okay? But when I look at receivers, I'm looking more for the guys who can consistently get open all across the game. But that's just how I see it. If you value receivers differently, that's up to you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. I'll see you again next Wednesday.